Hey, Darren, I, I want to take a minute to let our fans know about something really, really exciting. Uh, I've joined forces with. I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I, I got something to share with you and it's really, really exciting. Okay. Um, on June 4th, the 39th anniversary of the release of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, mm. we're launching a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter for our new documentary, 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever. Uh, mm. Roger Lay, who did all the uh, Star Trek special features, Star Trek documentaries, and myself are going to be producing a spectacular documentary that will take you inside the greatest movies released in 1982. It's going to be something really special. And, you know, we, 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 um, we put together an amazing team of people and uh, we're reaching out to you, the fans, to help support this. So if you go to Kickstarter, um, you can find out more about the campaign, uh, why uh, we think it's so important and what this is going to be. And, and if, you, uh, if it's interesting to you, if it, it tickles your fancy, um, we hope you'll choose to support us. Um, and you can, uh, there's some great rewards, including, I know you're going to be shocked. You can get autographed copies of my book. You may even win a chance to uh, come on this very podcast and watch Darren and I record an episode when we're back in the studio. First and, prize uh, is a non-autographed copy of your book. <laughs> those are more, much more rare. Second prize, <laughs> a set of steak knives. That'd be funny. We should have that as a reward where you can win a set of steak nice. knives. Now, for those of you who are wondering, why was 1982 so incredible? Well, we all know about Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. But let me just give you a, a few of the other movies that came out that year. Blade Runner, Conan, Poltergeist, Halloween 3, The Dark Crystal, Swamp Thing, The Verdict, Tootsie, what, the Citizen Kane of teen exploitation movies, not to be confused with the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes. Fast Tom's Richmond High, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Cat People, Creepshow, The Thing, Tron, The Atomic Cafe, it, 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 Dark Crystal. I mean, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary year, and, and we're going to document it like no one has ever done it before with exclusive interviews, clips, behind-the-scenes, storyboards. Uh, it's going to be amazing. It's, we have really, really exciting plans. And, and obviously, we want to have it come out for the 40th anniversary uh, of these films next, next summer. So uh, please, if, you, if you're interested, check out 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever on Kickstarter today. That's extraordinary. Sounds like fun. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts, and we're now the hosts of Inglorious Trexperts Briefing Room curated audio commentaries of significant Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Discovery. So if you want to check out exciting, incisive audio commentaries with the writers, producers, stars, and Trexperts, you want to listen to Trexperts Briefing Room wherever you get your podcasts. That's Trexperts Briefing Room. That's a separate feed from Inglorious Trexperts. And you can listen to curated audio commentaries with great commentary of some of your favorite and possibly least favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. You don't want to miss this, kids. Give these episodes another ear. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So... Wherever you buy books, audio, and video, 
pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today we got something a little different. And I think it's pretty awesome, if I do say so myself. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, you know, Darren is, uh, as everyone well knows, uh, was the visual effects supervisor on the Star Trek, the motion picture uh, director's edition, and is a bit of a connoisseur of that picture. Um, and, and, and has, has been wonderful about finding us guests that a lot of people haven't necessarily talked to and, um, or even, heard, real, of. Or even heard of, yeah, today's a real delight because, um, although we don't talk about Star Trek all that much, I mean, for anybody who's a film fan, like Darren and I are, are going to find our next guest a delight. And of course I'm talking about, um, Merv Block. Merv was a, a marketing guru who worked on the ad campaigns for some of the most notable and successful films of the 60s, including Lawrence of Arabia, Seven Days in May, the Bond pictures like uh, Goldfinger, Thunderball, The Train, uh, Grand Prix, Cincinnati Kid, and of course, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about this, 2001. In 1968, he started his own motion picture advertising boutique agency called Rosebud Studios, where he worked on posters, trailers, TV spots, and radio commercials for tons of movies from the late 60s all the way through the 90s. And some of those movies include Star Trek, the motion picture huh. and foul play. OK, I, maybe right. you don't care about foul play, but I do. <laughs> but uh, Star Trek, the motion picture and, and a bunch of other cool stuff, which we'll talk about. I don't want to give the game away. Uh, so, you know, for those of you who are just here for the Star Trek, be patient because we do get to, to the Star Trek campaign and it's a doozy. It's coming. Uh, but because, the rest uh, is really interesting, too. Oh, God, it's so so is. And of course, uh, I, I we could end the podcast without me taking the time to talk about his uh, long um, re relationship working for, for the great Woody Allen uh, on some of his great movies in the 80s, like uh, um, Crimes and Misdemeanors and, 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 and Hannah and Husbands and Wives. So that's a that was real fun for me. Um, but uh, but yeah, some great motion picture stuff you may not have heard and the stories you have heard. You get to hear straight from the quote unquote horse's mouth in this case. Yeah. Uh, really amazing. So I'm, I'm really this was a really this was a really fun thing. And as I, I told Merv during our, our conversation, some of the projects he worked on are hanging in my house. I got that beautiful uh, dirty dozen one sheet to train them, excite them and turn them loose on the Nazis, <laughs> uh, you know, which is just a beautiful, beautiful uh, one sheet for the. Uh, uh, United Artists movie, um, yeah. The Dirty Dozen. Uh, you know, I don't have his 2001 campaign, uh, but there are a I couple do. other things he worked on. You do, nice. Do. Um, and and uh, but this was this was this was great. And he's a character. And yeah. I say that you know in a, in a great in way. You know, sense. obviously, yeah. new new you know a New Yorker, which I I tend to to like. You know, straight talking, uh, no bullshit. Uh, New Yorker and he's, uh, he's basically Mark in 30 years. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> well, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'd be happy to be like Merv. 
I, I think he's great. Plus that apartment overlooking the park. I'll yeah. take it. My God. I mean, for those of you watching on the Electric Now app, you'll see um, his, his beautiful office in his apartment where, you know, uh, uh, where, it, it, you know, it's decorated with all the framed key art from, and he's a really talented still photographer as well. Very tastefully uh, decorated and, and you know, it's just beautiful. It's definitely a, a reason to watch it on the um, Exactly on the what app. you would imagine. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So let's so, bring him in and let's talk. Let's bring on Merv Block and we'll be back afterwards to, to close up the shop. Well, now we're thrilled to wel welcome Merv to the show. Merv, it's such a thrill to have you. You have worked on the campaigns and as our audience has just heard for so many films, both doing the key art, doing the trailers, the marketing campaigns. It, it's, it's, it's some of the greatest movies of all time. So we're not going to be able to touch on everything, but we're sure going to touch on a, on a lot of them, I hope. Um, welcome. Welcome. Thank yes, you. first Thank of all, first much. and foremost. Uh, I want to ask, um, tell us, you know, how you first got involved in this business of show. Um, because, I mean, you ended up in Paramount, you're an artist. Yeah, tell us about I getting involved. I didn't start in advertising. I actually started when I graduated from college as a film major mm -hmm. and, and a theater arts major. Um, I'd gone to Columbia, and I and I, but I graduated from uh, the City College Film Institute hmm. uh, back in 1958. And the first job I got, luckily, um, was driving a truck on North by Northwest. <laughs> During yes, um, I, um, a friend of mine um, owned a recording studio in New York, and um, MGM contacted him and. Um, he rented all the sound equipment and the actual truck um, that, um, you know, that was the sound, you know, um, uh, department while they were in New York. And I had to get a chauffeur's license and I drove the truck all over New York during the, the, the location shooting, which was about two weeks in August of 1958. I just graduated from college. And the funny part was that I had done a, uh, a term paper on Hitchcock, you know, up to that, you know, and here I am at the Plaza Hotel in the UN building and on Madison Avenue um, and standing 10 feet away. I was never introduced to him. Right. Because, you know, I was I was part of the sound department. Crew yeah, you, were, you were driving the and, truck. <laughs> and, and I was never introduced, but I did take some pictures. And <laughs> that's. Sub Rosa, and that's Cary Grant in the in the Plaza Hotel, uh, and that's Alfred Hitchcock with his cam with his DP in Grand Central Station. Oh man! And up there, I took a picture of Hitchcock standing with his assistant Robertson uh, at the Plaza Hotel. Yeah. So the um, only picture you didn't take, Merv, was the one of Roger Thornhill holding the knife at the United Nations. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's, uh, well, you know, I had to, I had to, um, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the grips, you know, actually moved all the equipment, you know, they took it, you know, they took it out of the truck, put it back in, and then I drove it back to garage and stuff like that. But it was such a wonderful experience. And I thought this was the beginning of my career in production. Right. You know, I wanted to be a production assistant and I wanted to be, you know, on the set and stuff like that. But in 1958, there were very few opportunities, you know, other than commercials. Right. Um, and, okay, so 
let me even go back further. I was a, um, um, a, a, a gifted artist, uh, you know, as a teenager. And I went to um, the High School of Music and Art sure. in New York, which is a specialty school, public school, but a specialty school for gifted uh, artists and, and, and music students. And so I had a background in art and, a, and a, an obsession about movies. Right. And the jobs that were available were copywriting jobs. You know, so the first job that I got, um, we're talking about 1960 now, mm-hmm. um, was with an advertising agency that had both the Columbia Pictures and the MGM account. Mm. And so um, I did uh, a lot of copywriting and, in fact, um, was for some time an apprentice art director. And as an apprentice art director, well, you can't you can't see the autograph from Sam Spiegel. I basically designed after so many attempts failed. I designed the campaign for Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. which was the, you know, <clears throat> um, the, the face, the right. close face right, of right. Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spiegel, um, Spiegel, uh, pull this off the wall. Spiegel um, signed this saying to Merv with much admiration, Sam Spiegel, um, years later, Right. When he didn't realize that I had worked on the on the campaign, I was working on a movie called The Last Tycoon. Sure. Uh, for Paramount. Um, we're talking about what the late 70s. Right. And uh, that's when I met up with with Spiegel and told him about my involvement on Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that. But um, it it was an iconic image. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we didn't use Peter O'Toole, you know, um, because he wasn't a star, you know, and so we used that um, that figure and shadowy, sort of created, yeah. you know, with the, the, a, a mystery, a mystery yeah, image, the, you know, with the, you know, with the with the desert and the tribes and the whole charging mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But um, so that was essentially my first job in the movie advertising end of the business. Not a not a bad opening act. Well, it beats going to uh, uh, you know South Dakota with the sound equipment for North by Northwest. Yeah, but I, always, but I wanted to be, but I wanted to be a film director. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I did produce years later. I did produce a movie, which was at that time um, uh, it, it, it failed. Uh, so I, I, I had no opportunity to do another picture. Uh, but um, forty years later. Um, the film was discovered by a number of uh, German entrepreneurs and um, they financed the restoration of my movie, which was called The Telephone Book. I think I sent you some material on that. And um, it's doing fine on Amazon. People are buying, you know, the DVDs and, you know. um, That's the happy end. It's going through a bit of a renaissance. Yeah. when it was released, uh, Joseph E. Levine released the picture for me because uh, I had done carnal knowledge for him and a number of other uh, campaigns. I mean, you know, I've been associated, as you know, with a lot of, um, you know, important films. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you talk about starting with Lawrence, Lawrence Arabia, but in that era, you were doing stuff like how the West was won. And then. Oh, sure. Oh, and, yeah. And, Union you know, on the Bounty. I mean, pictures like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, sure. Um, how, how did you approach doing the art? I mean, you would, I would assume you would, you would watch the movie um, and, and, you know, what would you kind of seize on? Or in some cases, um, you didn't see the movie because it wasn't yeah, cut yet. Well, many times the pictures were not finished. You know, we would see, you know, the client would show us scenes. Um, basically, uh, we got a script. But what really helped most of all were all the stills, all the, you know, the unit photography. Right. Which gave us a, you know, um, gave me an opportunity to see what the picture looked like. Um, and... Um, you know, from there, um, uh, conceptualize, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is what I did. And um, I worked with art directors, um, you know, I became my own art director for a while. Uh, operating a business, uh, I did have art directors um, um, because I was working on multiple pictures and multiple trailers. I mean, what distinguished my operation from the beginning was that I was, I was a skilled graphic designer artist as well as a film editor. Right. Mm -hmm. So I could do trailers and TV commercials and yeah. at the same time do the print campaign. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was a multifaceted, you know, um, uh, creative source um, uh, for the film companies. Exactly. And um, yeah, and they liked that. Um, you know, my competitors, my competitors were either doing graphics or they were doing trailers, but right. I was doing both. I want to ask you specifically about approaching something like Lolita, because not only are you dealing with Kubrick, who obviously was extremely. Yeah, Kubrick did Lolita. Um, OK, so because of what a the, difficult, controversial I did subject. The radio commercials. I did the radio uh, commercials for Lolita. How did they said, ever make a movie, a movie. of Lolita? Right. And I used, I don't know whether you remember this guy, William B. Williams. Of course. Oh, sure. He was, a New York major, DJ. who was a major disc jockey in New York. Mm -hmm. And I said, what a voice. He had this, you know, you know, it was just silken, you know, it was velvet. It was, you know, and I, and I hired him to do the radio commercial. I have, I still have the, um, the, the, um, the, um, the, the record, you know, we, you know, it was, sure. it was a pressing in those days. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and you're really bringing me back. And I did the I did the radio commercials for William B., with William B. Williams. Yeah, and that I mean that's you know that's a very iconic, famous campaign because of course, you know the Nabokov book was extremely controversial and, and banned. People wondered how Kubrick was going to adapt. Yeah, this is a oh, yeah. Here you are in New York. This yeah. is the Naked City. You know. <laughs> There's a million stories there. There are 12 million people here. Right? <laughs> and I'm one of them. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, you're talking about Lolita. Kubrick delivered that campaign. You know, it was a photograph of Sue Lyon yeah. uh, with the lollipop. And um, we were given it, you know. I mean, Kubrick was a control freak even back yeah. then. Sure. And, um, you know, I mean, I can tell you stories about 2001 A Space Odyssey. We, you know, we would when like I to became be. when I became creative director. Now we're going, you know, forward um, with a new advertising agency that inherited the MGM account. Sure. Um, I was hired as vice president, creative director of the MGM Pictures account. 
It was somebody else for MGM Records at that time, you know, and stuff like MGM TV. Um, but uh, I came into the uh, I came into uh, the agency creative director in '65 and '65 and started work on um, on 2001: A Space Odyssey. I think I showed you that. Uh, the first trade ad. Did I send you the first trade ad, sure. which is yes. just that, the, the star the field galaxy. with the? We had no, we had no visual image. So I went to, I went to the Museum of Natural History, right, right here on Central Park West, and I found, you know, this image, you know, which had a, um, a, a nuclei, uh, right. which I knew I could, you know, I could just fit in the name two thousand and one in that. And I, I wrote a line, this space is reserved for 2001. <laughs> and that was the first image. Uh, I have that hanging on my wall, by the way, in the back. Yeah. Uh, but I did send that to you, you know, so, um, yeah. 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 Well, I'm sort of going all over the place now. No, that's okay. I mean, it's uh, nonlinear. It's all right. because. Uh, uh, but I want to ask right. you, another campaign you did that I love is the Seven Days in May campaign for the uh, John Frankenheimer picture. Well, that's when I was at Paramount. Yeah. But I was, but, but um, I didn't really, I didn't really create that campaign. That was created by the agency. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1961, um, after I left um, the copywriting job with the agency, I was hired by Paramount Pictures to become assistant advertising manager. So I came in on the picture HUD. Right. Mm -hmm. See it? Yep. yep. And that was basically the first picture that I was involved with. And then you know, yes, there was Seven Days in May, and there was a you know uh, a Jerry Lewis and the Nutty Professor, um, um, uh, Elvis Presley, and um, you know uh, girls, 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 you know stuff like that. And um, um, but but Paramount had an agency. I was basically doing more administrative work, you know, not really creative work. But it was a, it was an in, it was an opportunity sure. to work for Paramount Pictures right. at fifteen oh one Broadway. Um, and, um, yeah, so I was there. And then after I left, uh, Paramount, um, uh, I, I became advertising manager of United Artists. And this was a time when they were working with the Mirish company. This was the, I worked on Goldfinger. I worked on Thunderball. I worked on, uh, uh, uh help and, and hard days night. I mean, these were, you know, I want to work, you know, that was a magical yeah, of course you can. Okay. I, I want to say that I worked you know, on some is... fucking great movies. Back <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I was just going to say this was a magical time for United Artists. You know, oh, uh, you absolutely. know, David Picker and all everybody who was David over there Picker became a very close friend of mine, and uh, who who passed away about a year ago, and just a fascinating yes, yes. guy. And yep. and and they really cared about the movies. You know, oh, sure. uh, they had an incredible sure. run. But I'd love to know about because obviously that Bond campaign is textbook. Uh, and and which one at this it, 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 all those early Bond movies, Goldfinger, Thunderball. I mean, these are huge movies. People who weren't, you know, obviously don't realize how big those films were at the time. And Bond is a franchise now, but it, it completely captivated the popular culture. Dr. No, big from Russia with love, bigger, Goldfinger, even bigger. 
now, here comes the biggest Bond of all. Thunderball. Now, James Bond does it. Everywhere. Look up. Look down. Look out. Here comes the biggest Bond of all. Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Salzman present Sean Connery in Thunderball. Produced by Kevin McClory. Panavision, Technicolor, a United Artists release. Thunderball. I remember standing, remember standing at the DeMille Theater. We kept the DeMille Theater open 24 hours hmm. for Goldfinger. And I was standing with Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli, you know, and they were just counting the people coming in all night long, you know, for Goldfinger. Um, that was the same theater, by the way, that played Psycho yep. in 1960, you know. Um, and um, I had nothing to do with Psycho. But, but um, it was a wonderful experience for me. You know, I got to meet a lot of people. I became... Um, uh, well, this was actually years later. I became friendly with Sean Connery mm -hmm. um, because I did some work. I, I did special photography on a movie that uh, that um, most people haven't seen. And he would certainly like to forget called The Next Man. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that he did. Um, I guess it was in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and I did unit. I did special photography on that picture. That was a film that was done by Allied artists. Right. Um, and uh, and then I ran into him um, um, uh, years later. My wife and I were in uh, in Russia for the first time, and they were shooting the Russia House. Right. Oh yeah. So we we hung out. We hung out with Connery and 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 the crew and everything. I mean, great stories. I mean, when you. When you first started working on Goldfinger, I mean, this was yes. the first time that they were thinking that this was going to be a continuing thing because of. Oh, yeah. You know, well, they did Dr. No. Sure. But uh, it was only Dr. after Russia that. With love. Yeah, exactly. But it, it was only after those successes that they, they knew that, OK, well, we're going to doing, be doing a lot more of these. There were a lot of novels. Yeah, but they didn't left. know how big it was going to be. I exactly. mean, exactly. It, it was monstrous. So, so how how did you how did you start the ball rolling on Goldfinger to try and make this a franchise, basically? Well, um, uh, we knew that, be, you know, that there was going to be a series of, of Bond pictures um, uh, from Goldfinger. You know, it was, it was Thunderball and then um, uh, the picture that he did uh, uh, in Asia. Um, uh, you only yeah, live, you only live. Yeah, twice. I mean, you know, the. Uh, I'm not good with names these these days, but but you know there was a whole series. I mean, I didn't think of it as how would we, you know, um, um, uh, uh, support a franchise. Um, mm. You know, um, when I worked on Star Trek, you know, it was they didn't know what they had, you right. know, um, and you know I was given the assignment. We should talk about Star Trek, of oh, course. We we will. But, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, and again, I was involved when I was at United Artists with a lot of administrative work, but also they knew that I was a, you know, a creative executive. And so I had a hand in developing the trailer. Right. I had a hand. We did radio spots. 
radio was very big back in the 60s. Absolutely. And every film was supported by um, a trailer, uh, television spots. By the way, the Goldfinger television spots were in black and white. Yeah. Because there weren't enough color television sets. That's right. So to save money, we actually did the commercials in, in black and white, even though it was a color film. Right. And then there were radio commercials, which I still have. I mean, I have all of this stuff. My archives are going to, I don't know whether you're familiar with the Ramson Center in, in, in Texas. No, um, no. They're big archival, you know, and they've asked for my, they have Arthur Miller's, um, uh, you know, archives and De Niro and, you know, a shitload of people. Right. Um, and, and I saved everything. Oh, good. And you showed some of it at Lincoln Center, didn't you? You pro, you curated a whole presentation oh, yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah. of your of your marketing materials over there. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, with Bond, also I have to ask because it had some of the most glorious art, like Don McGinnis's uh, uh, artwork for Robert McGinnis. Robert yeah. McGinnis, yeah, extraordinary. As opposed right. to sort of the crappy Photoshop stuff you see today. And uh, right, I just, right. you know, I, I, you know, wonder like when you were doing, uh, you know, key art and stuff, you, you know, putting the right artist with the right material and, uh, you know, well, making McGinnis sure it perfect. I mean, he could, he could, he could paint these women, these sexy women. Right. He was doing that with book covers and making $250 a book cover. Exactly. We were paying him $2,500 to do the same thing. He was getting 250 for from the right. book publishers. <laughs> I mean, these, 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 these uh, with Bob Peak, with McGinnis, with McCarthy. I mean, you name them. This was the cream of the crop of of commercial illustrators in those days who loved the idea of doing movie advertising. One because of the exposure, uh, two because of the money. Right. You know, they were making big bucks doing movie advertising, and I mean, and we worked with great people. Great. Well, I, abs Go ahead. I absolutely love the hyperbole question. I'm not sure whether. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I love the hyperbole of those early Bond trailers and radio spots you did. Look up, look down, you know, it's like the only gentleman secret agent with the license to kill. I mean, you know, he understood what it was. You're too young to remember all this. Ah, but I love that stuff. <laughs> but all thank right. you. I'll take it. I'm too young. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, that stuff is just phenomenal. And 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 you could see the way that it you know it sort of captured the zeitgeist and and understood inherently the, what those films were, and and right. and was able to sell it that way because I mean people forget Doctor No and From Russia with Love were not huge movies. It wasn't really until Goldfinger and especially Thunderball that That's the right. Bond movies became a phenomenon. That's right, and I was on two of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I left. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I left shortly after I, I, uh, I went over to as MGM's creative director. Um, I left shortly after Thunderball. Right. And mm -hmm. Thunderball was released. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned that you worked on the, the, uh, the first uh, campaign for 2001. Now included in those were perhaps three of the greatest illustrations ever done for motion pictures. Uh, Bob McCall um, uh, yes. did these amazing, these three or I think, three or four paintings, uh, four, paintings. four paintings of uh, scenes that we didn't see in the movie, but could have been. Right. Um, well, um, in, in truth, um, uh, Kubrick directed the campaign. Hmm. I, um, when I got the assignment, when the agency got the assignment to do 2001 Space Odyssey, we had no material. Kubrick right. would not release any material at all to MGM, to us. I mean, it, he was, 
you know, it was a secret project. Yeah. The only thing we got was a manuscript that Clark wrote. Um, and the title was not 2001. It was uh, the Sentinel or something, you know, right. it was the monolith. And we sort of had a vague idea, but we, but no, they didn't say this is really going to be the movie, you know, because right. Kubrick could sort of do anything. So, you know, as I told you, I had to go to the to the to the Museum of Natural History to do the right. first trade ad because right. um, the um, MGM was in 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 financial straits and Wall Street was demanding to know what um, was happening with 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah. So basically, yeah. um, this was an ad for the Wall Street people. Right. You know, the 2001 is in production, even though we can't show you any material. A little bit of a dog and pony to distract it, it, them away exactly. from thinking exactly. that things are going wrong. So now, <laughs> to come up with concepts, because that was my job, I had to find an illustrator. And we didn't know what the picture was, was about. And I figured the best, you know, source would be NASA. Exactly. And so I contacted NASA and... McCall's um, uh, uh, samples were sent up to me, right. and those samples were then sent to uh, what was his name? He was he was he died. He was a representative of Kubrick. Anyway, I sent them over to him, and he sent them to Kubrick in London. Right, um, Leon Vitali. No, 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 he wasn't involved no, yet. No, no, um, and Kubrick contacted McCall. And offered him a deal, and McCall moved to London with his family for six months, maybe, and worked with Kubrick and was actually giving Kubrick ideas about things, you know, with the production. Yeah. So, so it was a laissez-faire situation. I had nothing to do until the artwork came in, right, from McCall, and then we sort of put it together with, you know, the greatest adventure of exploration and blah blah blah. And um, that's how the campaign came came to be. Um, I really had very little, even though I take credit, I had very little input in deciding what the graphic images were going to be for the right. Kubrick did it. Um, and then I met Kubrick. Yeah. And this is a great story. Um, the, the picture was screened for the MGM executives and the agency and various opinion makers at the Capitol Theater in New York on Broadway. Right. right. And it was a disaster. Yep. And the MGM executives, some of the MGM, MGM executives demanded that Kubrick cut certain scenes um, from the picture. Yeah. Eight minutes, basically, it came down to eight minutes. And they gave Kubrick an editing room in the basement of the MGM building. Right. Which was on 55th Street and, and, and 6th Avenue. Hmm. And I'm in and out of the MGM building. And the next thing I know, there's Stanley Kubrick in the fucking lobby. Right. And I go over and introduce myself. And I say to Kubrick, in 1952, when I was at Music and Art and living on 101st Street and Broadway in Manhattan, you were shooting a scene from your second feature, Killer's Kiss, in my apartment building, and I watched you because when I came home from school and looked at, and the stairwell was bright, you know, I mean, it was just like illuminated. And I said, what's going on on the sixth floor? 
And I walked down to the sixth floor and there's this young guy, maybe he was 24 years old. I don't know. Yeah. You know, with a Mitchell camera, you know, with an unblimp Mitchell camera and he's shooting a doorway. And I didn't know who it was, but somebody said that's Stanley Kubrick and he's directing a movie. Right. And I reminded Kubrick of this and I said it was so formative for me. I mean, to see a, a production, a movie being made. Right. I mean, it was just, you know, it instilled that, you know, I, I wanted to be in the movie business. Yeah. And he said to me in the lobby, he said, it's so funny you say that because I was the still photographer on the movie Naked City. And I followed Jules Dassin around New York and shot, you know, all this stuff. And that influenced me to become a movie director. What's the unbroken chain? He was working, he was working freelance for Look Magazine yeah. as a still photographer. And yep. he was assigned special photography on Naked City in 1948. And so, didn't, he, didn't he win the, uh, a Pulitzer for that ph photograph of the uh, newsstand? that had uh, the uh, newspaper headlines for FDR dying. I believe it, it was. Well, there was a book of Kubrick's photographs. I don't right, recall. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was a photo recall. that he took for Look Magazine. And he won a Pulitzer. I, be I believe so. If, if not a Pulitzer, another, another big. Uh, yeah. uh, but that was such a wonderful, right, that was such a wonderful opportunity. Oh my goodness. You know, it's a share. And he shares the story about Naked City. Well, like I said, it's that it's that unbroken that chain the last I saw of, of him. it's the unbroken <laughs> chain of creative people connecting with each other through time. You know, the funny part of it is he didn't ask me what I was doing in the building. Right. And I didn't even talk about the advertising campaign on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. You know, so funny. yeah, uh, I mean, he was, you know, um, uh, he, he caused MGM a lot of you know, a lot of heartache, a lot of yeah. a lot of trouble over that picture and yet saved MGM with that picture. Well, mm -hmm. it's interesting because at that moment in time, he was extremely distraught over the reaction to 2001 from that yeah. screen. He was he was he was depressed. He was uh, figuring out what the hell he was going to do. And excising those eight minutes was uh, uh, horrific for him. And of course, I'm sure. we've, yeah. we've never we've never seen those eight minutes again. They're buried somewhere. Right. Uh, right. 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 But it's it's really interesting that um, it was you know, an experience. I, I imagine. I imagine. You know, anyway. I want to ask you how much you feel a campaign and maybe it doesn't needs to emulate the style of a movie or a genre, because in a sense, like Ant Antonioni, like the work that you've done on 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 those campaigns sort of reflect that Antonioni style in the yeah. same way that I feel like That's John Gorman's yep the blow up yeah absolutely and, worked, and the way you know when I was creative director yeah yeah and Point Blank for instance the John Borman movie you That's have right. this very surreal kind of campaign well we for wanted a very to do surreal an, kind of movie you know the idea was to do an Andy Warhol poster mm. right. you know I mean that was trendy you know that's why you know we dealt with that artist. Um, and he, you know, he came back with, you know, a, uh, you know, a seminal piece of work. I mean, it was, it was terrific. Yeah. Um, uh, the pictures, I mean, I worked on Blow Up. I worked on Dr. Zhivago, um, you know, which was basically a traditional campaign. Um, and I think I used Bob McGinnis again for, um, you know, for the finish. Right. Um, I'm thinking of the pictures that I worked. Well, I mean, there was, a, you know, there was, um, 
um, um, Polanski's picture, the vampire killers. Yeah, there were a few interesting films. I left to form my own company, Rosebud Advertising. Right. And does uh, Rosebud, is that your allusion to Citizen Kane? Or does absolutely. It have, yeah, okay. I had the sled as my logo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, and that's why I got along so well with Orson Welles. Because once I told him, I, I operated out of several companies for pension, you know, to expand my, um, my pension opportunities in those days. Sure. So I had a company called Martin's Callaway and Lime, which sounded like a great advertising agency name. And those are the three main characters in the third man. That's hilarious. Martin's Callaway and Lime. Yeah, Harry Lime. Okay. Then I had a company so called um, MacGuffin Corporation. Right. Um, then, you know, Rosebud Advertising. And then I had Rosebud Films. Under Rosebud Films, I made my feature film. Right. Um, I mean, I was really the first one to use the name Rosebud as a corporate name. That's Wells got, you know, he loved the, you know, Rosebud. Yeah. So what did he do? I brought in a book called The Magic World of, of, of Orson Welles, and he drew the starship... Uh. Sled for me. That's oh. nice. <laughs> for Merv with the warmest good wishes from the Starship Rosebud. <laughs> and this, this is this is the lead. This is the first page of that's, this book. I mean, it's a book. So I had a, you know, I had a custom frame made. Oh, that's great. You know, and I slid it in. And I sent you this, I think, you know, yeah. which was, you we'd, know. we'd like to we'd like to put that photo up on our uh, on our uh, social media to uh, share with our. But I wanted uh, to show you this. That's so and great. For, for those of yeah, you who yeah. are watching on video, it's Merv with Orson, uh, Orson Wells. Uh, I mean, he, he was a wonderful sketch artist, by the way. Yeah, Wells, he, Wells had a, was... he had a he had a short show on the BBC, uh, Orson Wells sketchbook that he would draw a sketch every week. Right, and right. Tell right. stories about it. Well, he did this like in twelve seconds. That's you so know? great. But it related to Star Trek. Yeah, you know, it was a sled going into space. That's hysterical. Um, so it's... we got along quite well. Um, and uh, I mean, if you want to sort of segue into Star Trek, or I think that wouldn't be it wouldn't be a bad uh, time to do that because uh, it... yeah, I um, uh, I got the assignment from Paramount. Yeah, um, we've got a very special picture. We're doing, um, you know, the Star Trek first movie. It's going to be called Star Trek the movie. Right. And um, and, you know, we want you to design something and do the trailer and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I said I basically said to Paramount, um, uh, uh, you know what we need? We need a really important voice. Yeah. Um, we need an important voice to really set this picture apart. And I knew that Wells had done American Airlines. Sure. This was before the wine stuff that he did on camera. Right, sure. Right. He, did, song, uh, yeah. uh, he did um, uh, Perrier. Um, right. You know, he, he was doing, you know, his voice, you know. And, right. you know, and Prestigious advertising. So, so I contacted, I mean, I was more, you know, I could have used anybody, but I, but I said, how about Orson Welles? And you wanted said, to work with Orson Welles. That's a yeah. terrific idea. Rosebud yeah. wanted to hire Orson Welles. It makes right. sense. So, so he didn't have an agent. He had a lawyer. Right. So I was able to contact the lawyer and the lawyer said, 
Wells would be very happy to do it. Um, he wasn't, he, he, at that moment, he didn't know that Robert Wise was the director of the picture. Right. <laughs> but, but he said, yeah, I'll do it, Star Trek. He said, um, and, but, but Merv has to come out to Las Vegas and rent a recording studio because um, Wells has a resident, he has to keep a residence in Vegas to, uh, so he won't pay uh, state tax. Right. So he has to spend 51% of his time in Las Vegas. So you have to come out to Vegas and, and record Wells. So I go out to Vegas, I rent a studio, and I'm waiting in front of this, you know, of the studio off the strip, and a Porsche 911 pulls up in front of the studio. Yeah. This is like a circus car. And out <laughs> comes out comes Wells. Yeah. And um, who was driving the car? Rita Haywood's daughter, you know, oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Uh, uh, was, was, was driving him. I don't know how he got into the, or out of, I watched him get out, but he was in a 911. He was a man of great girth at that time, let's so say. We did, we, we did the session, and uh, I mean, there were some wonderful things. I mean, he said, oh, you know, William, Shat William Shatner is in this. And my God, I hope he has a better toupee than the one he had when he did Star Trek on TV. <laughs> You know, I mean, I have all this on, 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 I've, I've recorded it. Yeah. And uh, when he got to, when we finally said a Robert Wise production, he sneered. Yeah. You know, we had takes where he would say, Gene Roddenberry production of a Robert Wise, you know, and he, you know, he would do it. Yeah. I, you know, so and I had for this. those, for those right, of our, let's listeners explain who, the Magnificent Ambersons to who don't know the backstory. First of all, um, Robert Wise was editor on Citizen Kane. Right. And which was fine. Which well. was fine. Every, everything went well. Until Magnificent Ambersons. Until Magnificent Ambersons. When uh, during the post-production, Wells uh, took this job from the United States government to go down to South America and shoot some footage to uh, boost the relationship between North and South America uh, for uh, the war. Correct. And Wells didn't come back for a long time. Right. And post-production on Ambersons had to, had to proceed and they couldn't reach him. So unfortunately for Robert Wise, he was uh, charged with fulfilling the studio's requirements for finishing the film. Yeah, and they were and not RKO was not happy. They RKO was not cut, happy. And, and they wanted new scenes shot. And right. so he was put in this horrible position to try and make a releasable version of Magnificent Ambersons without the director's involvement. Mm -hmm. And of course, this was a horrible situation to be in. Wells was uh, extremely upset after he got back because he thought he, he had been um, uh, uh, badly treated and uh, betrayed by Robert Wise. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? It's a it's one of those horrible situations that uh, people are just sort of put in these positions that they have no choice over, you know. Right. Uh, right. But still, that animosity lasted for the rest right. of his life. And now if he Wise hadn't done it. Someone else would have. Doing, yeah. doing his first movie commercial. Right. And Robert Wise is the director. Yeah. adventure is just beginning.
William Shatner. Take us out. His captain, James T. Kirk. Leonard Nimoy is Mr. Spock. DeForest Kelly is Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy. James Doohan is Lieutenant Commander Montgomery Scott. George Takei is Lieutenant Commander Sulu. Majel Barrett is Dr. Christine Chapel. Walter Koenig is Lieutenant Pavel Chekhov. Michelle Nichols is Lieutenant Commander Uhura. Stephen Collins is Commander Willard Decker. Persis Kambata is Lieutenant Ilya. Gene Roddenberry's production of a Robert Wise film. Coming this Christmas from Paramount. And there is Wells and, you know, Robert Wise production. Mm. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, can only <laughs> I can only imagine the situation. Well, he was playing around. I mean, you know, of, the, of course, Gene, of course, you know, you know, Gene Rottenberry, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. you, know, it was just, you know, he was having fun, you know, and, um, and I enjoyed him. And <clears throat> so after the session, you know, which lasted forever, right. Um, I had to pay him $25,000. I mean, that was his fee. Yeah. $25,000. Now Paramount wanted, um, wanted his voice, uh, for the foreign distribution of Star Trek. Yeah. And so subsequent to that recording uh, a date, um, Wells was to record in Spanish, French, Italian, and German. The copy, the text, which was right. basically the names and stuff. Right. I mean, well, you and know, when, he, when I'll never forget, Wells said, Percy's Kambada? Yeah. What kind of name it's is a, that? It's amazing that, that he, just, had to, he had to pronounce all the names of the actors. That's there. What he said. Percy's Kambada. Who is a Percy's Kambada? You know? How is that? I mean, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he carried on. He said, yeah. why, doesn't she, why doesn't she have a real name? Oh. You know? And I mean, it was just wonderful. Um, I, I, you know, I forget. Um, uh, Nicole Nichols. Right. You know? What is a Nicole? You know, I mean, um, huh? you know, so we went through that all day. Anyway, jumping to um, uh, jumping to the next session with Wells. So now he's in Los Angeles and I have to hire a ling linguistical person, multi language person. Right. At the studio so that he's he can speak German. Right. He speaks Spanish fluently. Right. He knows French, but his accents were a little off and stuff right. like that. So this person that I hired, I actually got him from City Hall in, in Los Angeles, huh. would sort of tutor 
Wells, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just sort of finesse out his his accents. And we did all the copy um, in the various languages. I have all the tapes. Oh, that's amazing. I have all the tapes. That's, it, it will that's startle your senses, challenge what? your intellect. <laughs> that's the copy. That's the copy. <laughs> but I mean, it was easy copy, you know, because it was names. Yeah. yeah. And it was. Um, um, but even that he struggled the, with. The human, Star Trek the human adventure is just beginning. I think right. that was the line, right. you know. That, yeah. We're going back to 19. You're taking me back 42 years. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I, I got to ask you. I mean, was part of the consideration? Pardon? Was part of the consideration for hiring someone like Orson because of the pedigree? You know, at that time you didn't adapt TV. I hired shows. Orson because I wanted to work. I wanted to. <laughs> it had nothing to do with fucking Paramount right, or the right, movie. Right. I didn't care about Star Trek. I never yep. watched it on TV. I'm sorry. Um, and and I wanted to work with Orson Welles and Paramount gave me the opportunity to meet him to work with him and Uh subsequently I hired him again several years later to do the narration for Conan the Barbarian right Mm -hmm. so I have all the tapes on that but he came to New York uh, to do that and uh, I forget what was in 8081 or something. You know, yeah. 82, it came out. So you were probably yeah, doing the died. campaign he in 81. I, mean, I think several years later. He, yeah, he died um, in 85, I think. 85. So this was, this was in the early 80s. And we did yeah. uh, Conan the Barbarian. And again, I said to the engineer in the, in the, in the recording, I said, Keep rolling. Hey, keep rolling. I'm going <laughs> to go into the studio and talk to him. And he's telling me stories about the making of the third man. And every fucking person on that crew was a Nazi. You know, they were all making Nazi. They shot Vienna right after the war. Yeah. 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 And I was in love with Valley. And, uh, you know, and my radio days is the shadow. I have all of this, you know, I have all these recordings, you know, because, I mean, he loved to talk to me. And um, I would ask him questions. I said, you know, I I don't remember you as the shadow, but I knew you played the shadow. Oh, my radio days. And I would go from one, you know, I would go from, I, I had a, spe- I had an ambulance. Yeah. I had an ambulance that would take me to the various recording studios, yeah. you know, and, and oh, well, you know about this. The, to get past the traffic because there's That's no right. law I mean, that says yeah. you need to be sick to ride yeah. in an ambulance. Now, you know, I started, I, I'm, I'm sure you know the name Don LaFontaine. Uh, of, of course. The great voiceover. Okay. Well, I started Don LaFontaine in, in his, in his voiceover career. Don was on the, you know, um, um, was kind of desperate for a job back in the 70s. Right. Had a great voice, but he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't really using it. Um, And I got him a job in the trailer department of Paramount um, for $35,000 a year. And at the same time, I was I was hired to do um, um, uh, Saturday Night Fever. the conversation having can wait one of my personal but i did and i said don um if it's all right with paramount i'd love to use you as the voiceover Hmm. and so don started doing voiceover work he was working for paramount Mm -hmm. and supplementing his income because i was paying him scale right you know to do a series of of television commercials and trailer and radio okay and he used that as his demo reel when he moved to California. Sure, of course. And, 
instead of making <laughs> instead of making thirty five thousand a, a, a year, he was making three million dollars a year. Yeah. He was doing Fox. He was doing NBC. Yeah. He was doing every fucking trailer imaginable. Yeah, yeah. and he became the voice. He was the voice for so died, long. The night he died, um, Peter Jennings on ABC said the passing of Don LaFontaine, the voice of most trailers. I mean, I remember yeah. this. Yeah. That he made the network news when he died. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. He it. also I'm did uh, Star Trek. He did Star Trek The Next Generation uh, for a while. Some of those right. bumpers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just well, to I bring it into. I was finished with Star Trek after, after yeah. the first one. You know. But that, uh, tell us about Conan. So did or did Orson go, what's an Arnold Schwarzenegger? I got to imagine. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, but, but um, what was it? Thief, warrior, yeah. conqueror, king. Barbarian king. Conan the barbarian. I mean, he was so perfect, you know, and he hammed it up. Of you course. Know? And, you know, Wells was really, you know, an over-the-top guy, you know. Yeah. But... Um, uh, and we had a good time, you know, and well, he, I, I, I cherished it. You know, I worked with a lot of voiceover people yeah. and they knew that I had was involved with Wells, you know, on those two pictures. Right. And they said, can you make a copy of the tape? You know, right. I mean, can you can you can we hear it? You know, sometime right. I said, you'd have to come over and, 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 and listen to it in my office. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I never copied it, you know, I mean, until I took the quarter inch tapes. And I made CDs right. um, from that. And that's really the surviving material. Now, we've, we've talked about this before. And I, I just want to say that um, please find another way to back those up because CDs are not archival. You got to digitize it too. They well, just to have. Is the CD a, a CDs, digitized version? But no, because it's, CDs no, can they, delaminate from one, each other, from one another. So what do I yeah. do? Uh, find a way to uh, copy them to your hard drive, to make a, yeah. a, an image of the CD onto your hard drive. And, and then back that up as well. Oh, I have ba it. And I back have that up on a, file. on a hard drive okay. as a digital file. Yeah. I but, have all my radio commercials um, um, transferred to digital. Mm -hmm. And I have the Wells tracks uh, transferred to It's, it's on, on my, on the computer that I'm on a hard at drive. Right okay, good, 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 good. That's I just want to make sure. Because uh, at some uh, point, CDs die. On, on an external drive. Good. At, at some point, you have to share that with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I, I mean, these stories are, are, are well, just I'm, I'm extraordinary. Looking my, all, my, all my kids live out in Los Angeles. Um, two of them are in the business. Yeah. Uh, my youngest daughter is a very successful reality TV producer. And my son um, is working with um, a um, uh, talent management company. He handles television writers, huh. um, um, uh, entertainment industry. Um, they're a big management company, um, not an agency, not a talent agency. Yeah, man management. Right. Management. Yep, yep, so yep. he, um, you know, he go. He he he's involved between the studio and the talent, you know, and finding right. TV writers and setting up writers' rooms for various. Uh, shows um so two two out of three of my children are essentially in the business right right yeah like like but father, not, in, like the son and not in the advertising yet they haven't you know and they didn't want to have anything to do with it well that's probably a smart thing because the advertising industry has taken a big uh, a big dive in the past few years uh it, just because no one wants to advertise anymore i i want to ask one more thing specifically about the motion picture campaign because yeah. of course 
that movie is infamous for the, the visual effects not being done until very late in the process. And Which I wonder what we're talking about Star, Star, Trek? Star Trek, the motion Star Trek. picture, how challenging it was to not have um, much in the way of, of final visual effects for a movie that is, you know, selling, you know, it's, it's not like what you had with 2001 where you didn't have any footage, but how you sell it without, you know, much in the way of, of footage from the actual movie in, in terms of visual effects particularly for those we, early teaser about trailers now about using about the, the, no, the, 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 the trailers the and, the, and yeah. the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there was so little uh, uh, special effects that were finished for that movie till very late in the process. Right. Well, the only thing that I did, I mean, you call it a trailer. I, I, I basically did, I guess the teaser trailer. Right. Because that was just the, the starship, you know, docked and then, uh, you know, leaving, you right. know, um, and Wells, you know, and cutting the various, um, uh, uh, you know, star fate, star people in the in the in the in the picture, um, but that's all, that's all that I did plus okay. the poster. Yeah, right. Um, if there was a regular trailer, and I assume there was a regular trailer, um, there there's sort of there sort of was, but but the the main thing were the the TV commercials, and the TV commercials were like uh, I think six or seven of them that uh, uh, had some clips from the film, but these were early versions of uh, the visual effects. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I'm not sure exactly uh, how far ahead the TV commercials were released. I, well, I'm, I'm pretty I sure it was like a couple the, of weeks. I had nothing to do with the TV commercials. Oh, but the, the, Orson, the Orson Welles uh, voiceover was on the TV commercials. Then whoever did it used... Ah, the, the, tracks. the tracks that you recorded. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good, good yeah, to yeah. know. Good to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek, the motion picture, is all you'd expect and more. And the most surprising thing about it is what happens to the people Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, Sulu, Uhura, Chekhov, Decker, Mylia, and Mr. Spock. The human adventure is just beginning. Star Trek, the motion picture. Rated G. It will startle your senses, challenge your intellect, and alter your perception of the future by taking you there. The human adventure is just beginning. Star Trek, the motion picture. Rated G. Um, yeah, I, um, no, I left that right after the, um, trailer and the, and the teaser poster. Right. Yeah. Which I think became the, the, the actual poster for the, for the movie, the yeah, Roger Heisen art. Right. The Roger Heisen logo with the, uh, with the grids and. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And that logo became the franchise logo. It became the franchise the logo to, till, you know, yeah. even, even five years ago. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It went for so long. Well, yeah. I, I do have a question about that. How how was that sort of logo developed? Because it was the it was the Eisen main title. Eisen developed that too. Oh, interesting. He created that. Because uh, uh, it was uh, all part and parcel of that poster. Okay, good. It wasn't done separately. It was done as one unit. Right. Mm. No, I, I'm I'm just I'm just wondering because for the film itself. Uh, they brought in Richard Foy, who was a uh, type st- typeface designer, who designed that typeface for them. Uh, so I'm I'm assuming that 
there was a little bit of uh, feedback between well, then this the is behind the scenes that I don't even know about. Yeah. Because when I hired um, um, uh, Roger, Roger, he came in with the finished piece, which included the title treatment. Right. Interesting. So he may have, you know, a lot of the artists, you know, when they were given a title treatment and art combination, right. actually went outside and, and, um, and hired a specific, you know, uh, typographical people, you right. know, to design, you know, that stuff. It's interesting. How you is, know, we, go ahead. How is Paramount to deal with in that era? Obviously, you did a ton of stuff. It was stuff wonderful. Then, I, I, um, you know, I dealt with this was this was Eisner Katzenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, this was actually Barry Diller. I, yeah, Barry Diller. But I started at Paramount uh, in '68. My first assignment uh, doing a trailer and a um, and a poster was for Barbarella. Mm. Meet the most beautiful creature of the future, Barbarella. Jane Fonda is Barbarella. See Barbarella do her thing with the nice angel, with the black queen, with the hand-to-hand Romeo. See Barbarella do her thing in the deadly dollhouse, in the palace of pleasure, in the biting birdcage, in the chamber of dreams, and in the wild excessive machine, you find adventure beyond your imagination when you get lost in space with Barbarella, Barbarella. Barbarella, a Dino De Laurentiis production in Panavision and Technicolor from Paramount Pictures, a Dolphin Western company, suggested for mature audiences. So I worked on Barbarella. Then I worked on a, a movie with Jack Lemmon and Sandy Dennis called The First, The Out of Towners. Right. And um, it, it was a whole string of, of interesting movies. The Molly Maguires, which Sean, I don't know whether you, you, you're familiar with these pictures. Um, um, uh, the Adventurers. I did The Adventurers. Um, uh, the Carpetbaggers. I mean, this, right. these were all, you know, those films at that time. And that was really... Uh, my first exposure as an independent um, creator, um, you know, working for Paramount. And I basically Paramount was my prime uh, client throughout the late 60s, 70s, into the 80s. I mean, I think one of the last films that I worked on for Paramount was Terms of Endearment, which I think was 83. I believe so. Um, And then I gave up. I gave up my my graphics operation right because everything was going to be computer graphics right. um you throw away your easel you've got to learn a new technology and that was a little bit too much for me and besides um when you started with computer graphics uh the when you know i i i did very well with revisions because you know the client had to pay for each and every revision, but once yeah. it became computerized, they said we want it back in a half hour, not in two yeah. days. Yeah, and we're not paying for it. Yep. And I said this isn't worth my time at this point, and I don't want to learn a new technology, and I don't want to start buying expensive, uh, you know, Mac computers. Yeah. And I just, you know, um, um, remain with AV with with the audiovisual end of my operation and see that you uh, did do a bunch of uh key art for woody allen in the 80s because you did hannah no, and crimes and no, misdemeanors no, you didn't. Didn't. no 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 
uh, he autographed that, um, which is the, the radio, the radio days. Radio days. Yeah. Um, but I did all the, all the television uh, trailers and, uh, and radio for him. Okay. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and someone else, a, a good friend of mine, art director, Bert Klieger, uh, did most of the, um, uh, the print advertising for Woody. I and didn't you have, did a I few cameos a, as well. How did you end up, uh, how that ended up happening? Because, because Woody and I got along very well. I mean, we liked each other. You know, we, <laughs> we, we were the same age. We come from the same background. We, yeah. uh, we schmooze, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, and he said, you know, you've got a great New York face, he said. Would you <laughs> like to play? I, I mean, I have, I have all my, my photographs on the far wall. Um, um, I'm doing a movie called Crimes and Misdemeanors. It was called Brothers when I yeah. when I was first involved in the picture. And he said, you could play Mia Farrow's husband. I said, no shit. I mean, you know, and it's about, <laughs> you know, that's how I got into the screen acting skills. You know, I still get and I still get residual checks, you know. So so I, you know, I had five days of work, you know, um, uh, with with Mia and Alan Alder and, you know, a great and I took I took this wonderful shot of of Woody yeah. over here, yeah. Yeah. you know, and he autographed it. He said, um, on the occasion of my Nobel Prize, uh, <laughs> if you can see the if you can see the image, you know, his, that's his, great. Know, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so you were was, in the reshoots for crimes because that whole. Well, yeah. So I was in the reshoot because he said, you know, listen, I don't think I don't think she should really be married, you know, and see that, you know. And I said, really? He said, yeah, actually, you were very good in your part, but I'm going to give you a consolation role. You'll be Alan Alda's friend at the wedding. <laughs> so so back I go, you know, and I'm Alan Alda's. And, 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 and if you blink, if you if you blink, you miss me. <laughs> at the end of the picture. But then I was in Husbands and Wives. And then I was in a party scene in Husbands and Wives. And, um, um, you, know, I, you know, I was hanging around with Woody. I mean, it was yeah, great. Yeah. And, you know, the, I don't know whether you know the Kaufman Studios here in New York. Yeah, sure. And Queens. He was doing all that. So I would hang out with him, you know. And then um, I worked on all the trailers, you know, uh, from actually I started out with a trailer that he did not he did not direct, but he started played against Sam at Paramount uh -huh. or Herbert Ross. That was, that was one of my assignments, um, yeah. and uh, that that was directed by Herbert Ross. And then I pick up with Woody in '85 with Hannah and the Sisters. That's when mm -hmm. I actually started, and mm -hmm. I go through uh, I go through uh, Bullets Over Broadway, and then and then that was the end of my um, career with Woody Allen. Right. That's great. Well, you were there for some great pictures. Oh, I mean, yeah, that, that, yeah. you know, along with his, his mid to late seventies, like yeah, well, shadows and fog and, and midsummer night and sex comedy, Alice, and, you know, and, <laughs> and another oh. woman. <laughs> oh God. September. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know your Woody Allen pictures. <laughs> yes, I, I, I do, but I don't think our podcast would be as popular as our Star Trek one. So, um, but um, I, I, you know, you mentioned Barbarella earlier, and that also had a great radio campaign. Did you do With the radio William campaign? B. Williams? Yeah, yeah. I hired William B. Williams. <laughs> yeah, he had the the song, and 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 that's a great campaign. 
Barbarella, la 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 yeah. la, Barbarella, <laughs> la 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 la. Yeah, sure. And um, I love the way you sold it. It's sexy, but accessible sexy. It doesn't feel, yeah. you know, it feels like Paramount sexy. It doesn't feel like um, yeah, it's, a it's porn not, sexy. It's not, it's not scary sexy. It's fun sexy. Right. It was kind of a dopey movie. You know, it was, it was that, that, it that Dean was doing a number <laughs> with her. You know, I could tell you stories, but out of school. Oh, and, come on. You know, oh, okay. <laughs> when we but, come over uh, to listen to the Orson Welles takes. <laughs> but I mean, I only heard these stories. I was not, I was not privy to it. But Fair Fonda enough. was a pretty wild chick in those days, you know. And, this is what they said. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but Barbarella was the first. Barbarella was really the, um, the first. You you know that I'm 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 scheduled um, to have an exhibition of my uh, posters um, in tandem with my trailers at a relatively new museum in New York called the Poster House, hmm. um, and the Poster House is dedicated only to posters. I mean, all kinds of, you know, wonderful posters. Um, right. And um, uh, it was originally to be, it was going to be this year, but because of the pandemic, um, they've pushed the scheduling back. So um, I think it'll probably be in 2023, mm-hmm. which I hope will not be a posthumous. Uh, uh, <laughs> Indeed, a pos- posthumous you know, said, retrospective. Let's, let's get on. Let's get on with this exactly. exhibition. You know, I'm getting, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I'm in pretty good shape, right? I'm 85 years old. No, you, really? You don't look. You don't we, look a day over. Right, over 85 seven. years. I started in this business. I told you, North by Northwest. Yeah. yeah. So I was. I was. In, I graduated from college in 1958. Yeah. That's that's an incredible story, though, to start. You know, from with with Hitch, uh, you know, oh, on I mean, North by Northwest. I, I, it, it was so up. great. It was so great. I'm amazed. So, at oh, the I got to tell you a great story. Okay, so, go ahead. So, so a friend of mine who was in the business, he passed away a few years ago. Larry Cohn. We sure, went to sure. school together, and um, you know, I was with him on all his pictures and stuff like that. And we sort of cue the winged serpent. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was my best friend. And so when I was on, uh, when I was working, you know, as a truck driver on North by Northwest, I would, you know, I would, I would bring him along, you know, oh to the goodness. set. And he, would, he would sit in the truck and stuff. Oh. So we're in Grand Central Station and, 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 and Hitch is doing, you know, the whole scene with Gary Grant, you know, at the ticket yeah. counter and yeah, the whole yeah. thing. And I said, here's a with bit. Sunglasses. Here's a bit. Let's, on the PA system and Grand Central Station, let's page John Roby. <laughs> and, and see if Hitchcock oh and see if Hitchcock responds. So we 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 managed to get the PA, you know, to say paging John Roby. And it comes out over the loudspeakers in Grand Central Station. And we're watching Hitchcock. And he doesn't budge. He doesn't respond to it at all. I mean, he was so you know, focus on what he was doing. He didn't hear the PA. Oh I mean, obviously, goodness. or he didn't, it didn't really register. Yeah. Right. But it, but it was a George Kaplan, not <laughs> John Rose. That Right. Well, <laughs> who knew? Yeah. Right. You crazy kids. It was a 98 page script. It was, a, yeah. it was, it was, you know, I had the script, you know, I threw it away. I had, so I sold the, I sold the Goldfinger, the original Goldfinger shooting script um, for $2,000. Not bad. To a collector, yeah, he paid two. What were your impressions? What were your impressions of um, 
of, of, of Saltzman and Broccoli, you know, when, when you were dealing. I didn't with have them. any. I mean, you know, just that were, one time at the premiere, you met them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I was very respectful. You know, I mean, sure. they were important producers, but I didn't really have any right. uh, connection with them at all. Do you? So have- when you. I met Gobble Broccoli only because my wife is a member of the Motion Picture Academy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the trips that we're taking, we're going to be at the opening of the Academy Museum. Hopefully mm-hmm. it will open the end of September. Um, and um, uh, so we're going to be in L.A. Uh, oh, good. Probably the end of September, October uh, for that. Um, what was I going to what was I going to tell you? And I'm going to be in New York in 2023 to see your exhibition at the Post I hope so. I hope, <laughs> oh, I hope so. You could count on it. <laughs> I was going to ask, what do you have any favorite projects that you've worked on? Anything mm-hmm. that was, uh, you know, creatively uh, uh, exciting to you at the time? Or uh, well, I'll tell you. Yeah, I I designed um, uh, the poster and the trailer for my own movie. Which yeah. was the telephone book? Yes, and it was a pretty audacious poster. If you look at it, well, it's Ni- it's a 19- rather phallic yeah. shape that's happening there. Yeah, well, it's a story about a girl who falls in love with an obscene phone call. And if I had a um, dollar every time that happened to me. And <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, that will be part of the exhibition at the poster house because this is a first where the producer is actually involved in the making of the advertising campaign for yeah. his own movie. Yeah. I mean, yes, producers along the way and directors along the way had input, but sure. they never really physically did. They, you know, yeah, right. Right. They, don't, they, right. they don't do the scut work and they get, would, it, you know, yeah. they get would, it to production. You know, they would basically be dis- disturbing factors in a campaign. Right. You know, I had a lot of, I mean, I had, I shouldn't say run-ins, but because uh, most of the, most of the filmmakers that I dealt with, you know, I loved, I mean, you know, uh, sure. And uh, even if uh, even if the picture was bad, I would find I had to do the trailer. I had to find some uh, elements in the picture that worked, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, my wife said, you hate this picture, but you've got to find, you know, find you, something to like gotta, about it. Yeah, to convey that to, to others. Like so they'll want to see it. You know, and I worked on a lot of stiffs, you know, I'll bet. Um, <laughs> um, but in answer to your question, I would say. Working on my own film. That makes perfect sense. And getting paid for it. Well, right. sure. That's you always know, the bonus. Uh, 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 yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm the producer of the film and I'm getting paid to do the advertising yeah. campaign. And it did win, it did win a, 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 a key art award and it won mm-hmm. a director. But I have to tell you the story. It was while posting in in those days in New York. I mean, yeah, sure. Um, and uh, it was it was it was posted all over, you know, all over the city. Sure. And people were tearing the posters off the walls. I have pictures of them. Nice. You know, there's a poster of Follies. Follies opened at the same time. And the last picture show opened at the same time. Right. So I have photographs of my one sheet next to um, Bogdanovich's um, the last picture show <laughs> and, and, the, and the Follies, Follies, which was right. the, you know. Sondheim play, yeah. Yeah. And you see rip marks through my posters. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, it was so offensive. It was so offensive. Um, the newspapers would not take that. Right. And we had to do, I had to do an alternate uh, campaign. Sure. That, you know, that the, that the newspapers would accept. 
um, which was kind of weak in comparison to the audacity of that poster. But but um, yeah, I have it on my wall. It, it's, the it's, the phone receiver wasn't as uh, girthy, perhaps. What <laughs> the phone receiver wasn't as girthy in the revised right. version. Yeah. Um, so I've also been involved with television. I guess it would be a, a, a an, an avocation. I was a big collector of antique military toys. Mm. Having grown up during the Second World War. Sure. Um, uh, and doing a lot of reading about the Second World War after the war. Right. Um, I started collecting um, mili- not, not just dime store figures and stuff like that, but really important uh, antique toys, mostly from Germany, mm-hmm. Britain, and the United States. And I amassed a world-class collection. It's been in books and stuff like that. Um, as a result of my interest in World War II, um, I created a series called Jericho, mm. which was on the air, which was on CBS in 1966, only for one season, because right. I was opposite Batman. Right. I was on CBS <laughs> and Batman was on ABC. Yeah. And my other competition was, was, was uh, Daniel Boone right. um, uh, on NBC. Yeah. So, so only two of the biggest to- shows ever. In, in that yeah. time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so subsequent to that, uh, for the BBC, I created a series for the History Channel called uh, uh, the, greatest, the Greatest Secrets of World War II, basically recycling a lot of, you know, like the atomic bomb, like radar, like, you know, all sure. of the all of the secrets, secret projects. Um, and, you know, yeah. so I was, you know, I was I was really um, uh, very involved in the espionage aspects of World War II. Right. Um, and I mean, if you look over on my shelf over there, you see, um, um oh, you're, uh, war, you know, uh, fighter, models. fighter planes. Uh, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, you know, and shit like that, <laughs> nice. um, which I saved, um, getting off the subject of movies, but yeah. <laughs> so, so I had some exposure as a creator, yeah. uh, in, in uh, television. Well, so it must have been uh, doubly fun when you worked on something like The Train, so you could take your love oh, of movies well, and your what? love of World War II. Yeah. <laughs> they bombed it. They strafed it. <laughs> but they can't stop it. And we used a guy who, who, who um, his name was Bob Marcato. Bob Marcato was like a voice like Don LaFontaine. Yeah. You know, like he had four balls, you know, right. it was just kind of like... And he he was he we used him a lot on all the action pictures uh, that we had at United Artists in those days. Right. I mean, he became the voice of the train, um, he, you know, Satan bug uh, right. was one of the pic- I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you're taking me. I'm remembering these pictures now. <laughs> um, um, a Woman of Straw with Sean Connery and Gina Lola Brigida. Ah. Um, some of the mirrorish pictures. Yeah. Right. Uh, not you didn't uh, work on Magnificent Seven, did you? For them? No, no, no. But we did the Billy uh, Billy Wilder did a picture called um, uh, it's where uh, uh, where Walter Matha had a heart attack and uh, he got to be replaced. Um, Dean Martin, Kim Novak. How was the name of the picture? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, 
has uh, was one t- was it was just one word, one word title. Anyway, it was a Billy Wilder picture. Yeah. I'm what looking a- at your wall, and it looks like there's a Chinatown hovering around back there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But that was the backup campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was such a wonderful piece of art. Um, I was given the assignment to do the backup because Paramount was not happy with the Robert Evans version of the campaign, right. which they used. I mean, Evans yeah. was very powerful and they went with it, but uh, my campaign was used in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, yeah, and, and it's a wonderful piece of art. Uh, there, was a whole, there was a whole political thing going on and, you know, and Evans was very, I did most of Bob Evans's work. Um, he chose me to do Marathon Man, Right. Um, he, you know, and I, you know, um, I, so I did Marathon Man. I did the trailer for Marathon Man. Um, I did Black Sunday. Sure. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I did Players. There was a movie called oh, Players yeah. about these mm-hmm. tennis, you know, that Ali McGraw was in with Dean Martin's son. Right. Um, uh, I'm just trying, and Chinatown. Chinatown. Right. Yeah. And then I worked with Beatty on Reds and, and I did, you know, I, and you, you see that on the wall. I did, right. I put angel wings on Warren Beatty and that Heaven became the campaign for Heaven yeah. Can Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I spent a lot of time in LA um, um, with Beatty on that picture and Buck Henry. I mean, I mean, right. I, you know, you know it's just, it's wonderful stories. I mean, yeah. I had a one, I had a wonderful career. When are you going to write your memoirs, Merv? I mean, come on, we can't cover this all in a podcast. Well, you need to write a book. I don't know. You know, I've been working on my toy collection book. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, this is how I've spent the last eight months. Um, I have about 300 pages already. What I've done is I sold my collection mm-hmm. to a very big collector, yeah. an antique toy collector. And what I've done is I've gone onto the internet and Googled my toys. Right. They weren't specifically my toys, but they were the same models. Sure. And in Photoshop, I'm very expert in Photoshop. I've restored because most of the toys were in poor condition, you know, beat up, shit like that. And I've restored the toys to look brand new. Nice. (laughs) And yeah. And and it's going to be a picture book of my collection of, of antique military toys. So you've, you've doctored out the chipped paint and made it look brand new. Uh, Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I love working in Photoshop. Ask me some other questions. Some, some, <laughs> well, I would, I would just say, you know, you alluded to, you know, obviously working with Warren Beatty and Buck Henry on Heaven Can Wait. Just, you know, a little recollections, because, of course, yeah. you talked about how Orson was so effusive about his career and sharing all this stuff. Any interesting stories, you know, from Warren Beatty and, you know, working with him on Reds and uh, just reflections? Well, I'll tell general. you what happened on Reds. Um, Paramount didn't want to make the picture. Hmm. And because, you know, it was a John Reed and stuff like that. And Warren said, Warren called me from Spain. He was in sh- shooting in Spain. And he says, I'm going to be in London. I'm going to be at Twickenham Studios in London. And um, I want you to work on the picture. And I know you don't, you don't know anything about it, but you have to fly to London. And I'm going to have my assistant read you the script. <laughs> you can't take the script and you can't discuss it with Paramount. You can't talk to them about this picture. I forbid you to talk to Paramount uh-huh. about this picture. They hate the picture to begin with. They didn't really like it, but because of my success with, with uh, Heaven Can Wait, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and my, you know, and my, you know, my political, you know, 
importance in Hollywood, they let me do this picture. Right. So I fly to London and in a room, it was probably a dressing room at Twickenham Studios, in comes Warren's assistant, and uh, who happened to be his cousin at the time. And, uh, and he sits down and I sit down and he reads me the entire script. So it's like four hours. Right. He's reading the, he's reading the, 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 the scene descriptions yeah. as well as the dialogue. <laughs> and then he said, oh, no, here's a, here's a thing. Oh, Elaine is going to do this. We're changing that uh, scene. Elaine May is coming in with more dialogue yeah. copy. <laughs> Elaine was, was very close to Warren at the time. Yeah. You know, she 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 was involved Until they start. in weight, yeah. Um, yeah. and um, and and she's going to do a lot of polishing for dialogue and stuff like that. So I went back to New York, and um, and worked on the campaign, and then uh, oh, it was a shitload. I mean, we did you know 40, 40 comps and sending him to London and stuff like that, and Warren didn't really respond. I mean, I have I have all the material on on eight by ten color chromes. Yeah. Uh, that I saved. And he said, this is just one shot. And that's this wonderful shot where I embrace, it was at the train station, uh, yeah. Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton, yeah. And that's going to be the campaign. And that became the campaign. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was just, you know, like that, <laughs> you know, $350,000 later. It's, it's funny when you, t- when you say, you know, stuff like that, it makes me think because I, I work in, you know, pre-production on movies usually. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a concept artist, so I'm drawing pictures and, and showing them stuff. So it, I've Story found board. that st- storyboards sometimes and, uh, you know, designs and things like that. But usually I've found that my job is mainly showing them what they don't want. And, and uh, you know, giving them concrete ideas of things that they don't want so that they finally can settle on something that they can live with. Right. Uh, and I, I'm wondering if that's uh, what you found out sometimes uh, working with them. My feeling is that the picture is finished. And now the, the people in power, filmmaker, the producer, the director, can't touch the picture anymore. It's locked but they can tamper with the campaign. Right. They can change, they can ask for, you know, I, I developed the, the wing concept, the angel wing concepts very early on. Right. Almost too soon. Mm. And I have art where Warren said, put me in a, put me in a football uniform and, 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 and the wings, not the, not the sweatpants. Right. Put me in a, okay. Now, uh, you know, I think we should bring Julie Christie into the art. How can we bring Julie Christie into the art? So Merv, go back and see, figure it out. I like James Mason. Mason and Christie should be in yeah. the art, okay? And meanwhile, the, you know, it's ringing up dollars and dollars and dollars. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And, and um, Flocks his bucks. And I have all that material, you know, yeah. which will be part of the the exhibition because no one has seen it yeah you know yeah. no one has seen all the outtakes that's so and, it sounds like and then we finally couple. after after six months we go back to you know you're right yeah you go back it's to the first thing <laughs> but you want to know something you want to know something you really have to go back because bob evans said that my crotch is too flat so <laughs> this is this is true story and so could you 
could they put a shadow of some sort in right. so that I got, I've got a cock, you know, beef, I mean, beef it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so we went back with the art and we put a shadow in. Of course. And he said, that's, that's, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are, these are, these are stories out of school, but, but um, yeah. So and, I got to ask you, it sounds like you're very pragmatic in that sense that when you're doing a bunch of comps, you might have a favorite and if the studio or the, the and the market, oh, yeah. they, they, they don't go with it. It's okay. Cause you're still well, I getting can't really come in. I came in with one concept on, on heaven can wait. Um, but generally there's at least five or six different, uh, yeah. you know, conceptual versions. Um, and, um, yes, and I do have favorites, um, uh, but I'm hired, you know, they're paying me a lot of money for a first look. Um, and, um, you know, I want to sort of give them their money's worth, you know, yeah. conceptualizing quite a number of, you know, different ideas. Um, but I was, you know, with with heaven can wait. I was convinced that that was, you know, that was going to be the campaign. I w- yeah. I hoped, you know. I mean, it, it was kind of, you know, putting war- putting angel wings on Warren Beatty. I, I mean, it's absurd, um, but it worked. But yeah. sometimes you have to you have to lead them along the path with you to bring them back to the beginning where you started. Same thing happened with with my with with Raging Bull. Hmm. That I came in, I came in with several concepts, and uh, and this being one of them, and UA was not that attracted, you know, to that, and they showed it to Scorsese, right, and De Niro, and Scorsese said that's the campaign. There you go. And it came from a photograph where De Niro has boxing gloves in front of his face. People think that that's a photograph. But that's mm-hmm. actually a finished piece of art. Nice. Because I took the boxing gloves away so right. it wouldn't resemble Rocky. Right. It was mm-hmm. so concerned that it do not resemble Rocky. And um, that's why the art is the way it is. Yeah. I, I got I to ask you, since this is a uh, theoretically a Star Trek podcast, um, do you remember, were there any other comps or uh, ideas for the Trek campaign besides what you ended up with? Or it's so long ago you don't remember? No, I think that was that was it. That was it. You know, I was more, you know, the 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 Roger Heisen art uh, came about as a result of the graphics that we used in the trailer. Right. Right. Um, In other words, that was basically the springboard for the for the for the print campaign for the for the poster. We had the graphics. I hired um, a top. um, computer graphics person, you know, mm-hmm. right. I think it was in LA. Um, and they did that, you know, slit scanning kind of, yeah. uh, kind of effect. And then once Paramount saw it, you know, we developed it as, as, as the, as the, the uh, um, the ad art for the, camp, right. for the trip, for the, for the poster. But yeah. What's interesting is you made the decision that the ship was the star of the show, not the cast, because it, it features, the, the, the ship, if you look at the Star Wars campaign, it kind of emphasizes the characters. And I'm curious, you know, sort of what made you sort of seize on the idea that the starship, the ship is really. That's all I had to work with. <laughs> OK, that was it. That, yeah. I mean, I had nothing, you know, I, yeah. I just had that scene. Yep. Right. Um, and I had to work with that scene. What was I going to do with that scene? 
Right. Um, um, you know, there were, you know, most of the time um, I had all the material I needed to do a campaign. Right. Uh, with Reds, it was different. Um, with uh, Star Trek, it was different. Um, with, um, um, I'm just, you know, with, with I'm going to talk about Kubrick. He, he, he just withheld material. He didn't want, he was afraid that somebody was going to beat him to the screen yeah. with some cheap version yep. of the picture. So he didn't want to release any of his toys. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. he didn't want anyone to see anything in terms of art design and, and, you know, and production design that related to his picture. And the truth of the matter is he was right. Absolutely. You know, to keep it, you know, to keep it sub Rosa and, you know, and, and, and that's what, and that's what happens. Well, especially like, then there were so many. Woody Allen will not allow United Artists in those days to, to read any of his scripts. Mm-hmm. I mean, he right. had carte blanche with uh, Crim and Benjamin for, for many years, but they didn't know what he was going to come up with. Mm-hmm. You know, he just made movies. Yep. So there were a few people. I mean, I think Scorsese, I, I, the only picture that I worked on uh, a Scorsese movie was Raging Bull. Yeah. And I never worked on a Hitchcock picture. That was before my time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a lot of, you know, um, when I got out of the army in 59 uh, in a peacetime army, uh, I, ha- I, I had a small apartment in Manhattan and I really had no money to buy, uh, uh, you know, art or photography at that time. And so I went to National Screen Service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. National Screen Service handled the distribution of all the movie posters. Movie marketing right. material, yeah. And for 75 cents, I bought unfolded one sheets on, on the waterfront. Wow. Butterfield 8, Viva Sabata. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of, um, and I put these posters up on my wall, and that started. I said, oh, my God, you know. Well, that's I, a- love, the, I love these posters, you know, and this, this is before it, 75 cents. Yeah. Well, plus, I walked, into an, I walked into a dealer in London several years ago. Yeah. And he has my Chinatown poster. Yeah. And I said, I designed, oh, you didn't design it. I said, yeah, I mean, I worked on that poster and stuff like that. Really? Really? How much is that poster? $1,500. Yeah. Folded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can still see yeah. the, the fold lines, you know, even yeah. though they yeah. well, that, even rolled. That, that's the most surprising thing that you were saying about, uh, you know, getting them from National Screen Service, because they, all the posters were folded when they sent them to the, to the theaters so That's having right. an, an unrolled uh, I had a unrolled, rolled one is un, unfindable 75 cents yeah <laughs> this wow. is so this is 1959 yeah wow 1600 broadway that's where they were located yep oh my goodness <laughs> and you never lost your love for 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 the no, movie posters. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I want, you know, I, I could wear a T-shirt that says, but I really want to direct, you know. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and and uh, but, you know, I did very well in this business. I mean, the people in the business, I mean, it's a whole different thing. I mean, the, the platforms that are used, I mean, the, the trailers are in your face everywhere. I mean, yeah. you know, they're in the sky, they're on billboards, they're, you know, electronic, they're, 
you know, I was talking to um, one of the co-founders of BLT, yeah. um, you know, big, a big, she hires 200 people. 200 people are working for that company. Yeah. Right. I had 10 people. Yeah. Max. It's a, it's a different machine. It's a different machine now. You know, I mean, they're, they're my turning out different in, things. My posters were in theater lobbies. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Not on the sides of buses and things. Exactly. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways and right yeah, right yeah. right right so it's a whole different you know it's a whole different ball game i mean it's fine i got into it i got into it when um the studios decided that they wanted a young audience sure you know the new hollywood yeah. and the old advertising agencies weren't providing you know that kind of material yeah and so yeah. the boutiques started to develop and yeah. i was one of those boutiques you know, I, I had my, you know, baptism under fire with Paramount, United Artists, MGM, and now I'm on my own. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing the work that I was, you know, I was, you know, um, um, hiring other people to do. And wow. you thought outside the box. You weren't mired in the old way of thinking. That well, a lot I got of in. I got in at a really good time. I mean, it was, you know, you'd call it the golden age of advertising when movie art was 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 primary. Yeah. So today everything is sort of, you know, cookie cutter off the off the yeah. off the off the computer screen. Um, I worked on easels. Yep. You know, and uh, and and for retouching, I had to send out. I had to yeah. hire special retouching people, you know, to. And it took days. You, you know, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, so, look, this is the version fabulous. of Mad Men I want to see. I, I, I don't want no no Don Draper. I want to see Mer, Merv in the 60s uh, doing these incredible campaigns for well, these brilliant movies. You know, when I worked when I worked at the agency, talk about Mad Men, when I worked at the agency um, and the copy chief and the art director would go out to lunch, you know, and they would be like four or five martinis. Yeah. And you couldn't deal with anyone after, yeah. you know, it, 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 I experienced that. I didn't yeah. drink. I mean, you know, I was... Yep. A junior guy. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a time. Yeah. You can't time. get anything done after two. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, we're so appreciative of you taking the time. And thank you, Leslie, for letting so us have you. You guys are terrific. You guys are terrific. I'll do it anytime you want. Oh, I mean, that's excellent. great. You know, but we're really, we're really excited about the exhibition. So, I'm so serious you when use I say the we'll audio there. track, the entire, do you, do you edit out some stuff? Very, uh, very rarely. It's live on yeah. tape generally, unless there's something really egregious. And, 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 uh, and your followers, how many people are, you know, are involved? I mean, how many, how many listeners do you have? Tens of thousands. No? Tens, Tens of thousands. Of oh, yeah. because of Star Trek. Because of Star yeah. Trek. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, um, amazing. It's been such yeah. a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, thank you so, so much, much for taking the time. And uh, it just, and, and thank you for uh, decorating my house. Because so much of uh, so, so many of your posters are framed on uh, in, in my house, and and and, really? and I had thirty dozen in my office for many years, and now was it's, it, uh, was it a, it's not a reproduction. It's it's no, the, I don't no. buy reproductions. Only original. I mean, okay, okay, yeah. and okay. only rolled, no folded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually had I, you know, one thing I had just before it became collectible. Yeah. I had about a hundred. I remember a hundred. Um, one sheets on Chinatown, oh. you know, the, the printer sent me, you know, we were yeah. doing, mm -hmm. you sure. know, color, you know, it, sure. it came out because I had no room. 
Yeah. I was throwing out these, you know, these, what yeah. the fuck? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean feel, just, your I feel your pain. I your pain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my closets were, you know, clear out the closets, get rid of these posters. We're, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, little did you know. So little did any of us know. Chinatown. China, so we're talking 74. Yeah. 1974. Let's say 74, 75 was Chinatown. People were not collecting movie posters. No. And it's not at all. No. No, yeah. Well, no. Well, anyway, we're going to want to have really we're going to want to have you back and, and, and talk more about everything because it's it's such a pleasure. I'd, to I'd have be delighted. I mean, you know, I'd be delighted. You guys Lovely. are wonderful. And thank you for for having me. And thank um, you. We appreciate it very much. Indeed, we do. Thank you, Merv. OK, so there you have it. Merv Block. Fantastic. Great stories, huh? I mean, you, you look up you look up the term character in the dictionary and there's his picture. He's he's there uh, he so much so much fun. And he, you know, touched so many of our favorite films from, you know, what we can all agree is a golden age. But of Hollywood. so interesting because he loves movies, you know, and 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 he ended up working the business. And, you know, look, one thing you're never going to see in his bio, which I mean, the way he starts the interview, he he was driving a truck on North by Northwest. I mean, that's how cool is that? Well, I, I, I never got around to asking him, but I, I wonder what the Teamsters thought of that. I, I'm sure he. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sure, sure he back then it was very different. Maybe, maybe not. But remember, this was, you know, 1959. So this I was, know. He, this he was not a, a, an unpowerful point in, uh, in labor. Let me just yeah. tell you that. This so. would not happen today. Let's no, put it that way in not New York. A bit. That would not, not happen. Bit. You would not be driving sound equipment around yeah. without being a member of the IA. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the Teamsters, there's no way. So, um, no but way. I will say, um, uh, you know, when he gets to Star Trek, it's so interesting to hear those orders. And I got a pitch for you, Darren. Yeah. Ocean's 14. We put together a crew. <laughs> you, me, Ashley, Rob, Gab, we put together it's just like Ocean's Eleven, and we plot. got distract when him. he's at the exhibit <laughs> for his poster for the. We break in and we get the files. We gotta to we his... gotta rig up one of those uh, one of those ceiling suspension things like in uh, uh, Mission Impossible for Tom Cruise, and we gotta sneak it out of his computer. The, the problem is, the, God uh, forbid, anybody ever breaks into that apartment, they're gonna come looking for us because uh, I gotta hear those Orson Welles. I got to hear those Orson Welles, uh, yeah. the, the Orson Welles audio of yeah, recording the motion picture, um, the outtakes from the motion picture sessions. Well, see, the, the original uh, impetus for contacting him was that uh, a few years back, I took it upon myself to try and uh, recut in high def all of those TV commercials from Star Trek mm. the motion picture to get a better um, version of them. Because frankly, even, even on the one inch video that, uh, that, uh, Rob Burnett had uh, of mm -hmm. them that were the original release for them. They look terrible and they're horrible sure. quality because remember NTSC television is terrible. Yeah. So even at its best, it's awful. Uh, so I took it upon myself to try and recreate and recut from the high def footage, all of these commercials. And I got up to the point where I had to, you know, remix the audio. And I realized that I couldn't separate the Orson Welles dialogue from the the track 
uh, and I would always get bleed through of the music, which is not Jerry Goldsmith's music. It's worth pointing no, out on the commercials. It is Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, on the music. commercials, but on the on the uh, original in the trailer. In the trailer, it's music from uh, Black Sunday and uh, uh, a, a couple other uh, uh, Goldsmith scores. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, but you know, I, I wanted to find an original track, and I I, I read uh, a report on his uh, trailer show that he talked about Orson Welles recording these and Orson Welles having trouble with saying the name Robert Wise. And I realized, holy cow, if I can just get him to give me those clips, I can put in the original recordings and have finished versions. No, yeah. no way. No way. <laughs> he won't, he won't but, do uh, it. He won't do it. He just won't do it. But uh, it's okay. Uh, the, the trade-in was we got to have a great conversation with him. And uh, now I can call him up and say, hey, you know, tell me more about, uh, uh, you know, Kubrick and things like that. So, yeah, but see, you know, I, as much as I want to hear him do the Star Trek narration or Huru uh, and, 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 <laughs> what and is, what off, is the Nicole Nichols, but, but I really I really want to hear his third man stories. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, Absolutely. And his um, and his shadow stories and, and uh, oh, yeah. just uh, and I want to hear him screwing around with Robert Wise's name. Yeah. I yeah. just I, I just. We, we, you know, look, I mean, I know he doesn't want to release the, uh, uh, the audio, but I think well, we're going to have to and make I, a... You and I will make a pilgrimage there and we will, we will sit and listen to those yeah, recordings. Yeah, yeah. unless he can put it on his phone and when he comes out here for the opening of the Academy Museum, we'll take him to Musos and yeah. he can play it for us. That would be, that would be lovely. We'll yeah, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, this was a this is a great episode. I, I, I hope you liked it as much as we did. You can tell Darren and I were having a great time. Yeah. Uh, and I want to remember thank you as a... we we do this podcast for us. So yeah, if you like just... it too, that's good. But it's mostly for us, just to be honest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and speaking of us, we're going to be in Vegas for the uh, uh, fifty five year uh, tribute uh, to Star Trek at the uh, Las Vegas. Um, uh, Rio Suites from Creation Entertainment. Uh, our panel will be on Friday, the 13th of August. So you should come check us out. Come see us do the live Trexperts panel. And you can win, if you're very lucky and very knowledgeable, a official Trexperts certificate. Uh, honorary honorary Trexperts. Honorary Trexperts. You can become an honorary Trexpert. But only, you know. This is a coveted you, award, folks. You know your stuff. And it you is not handed out. It's not handed out lightly. You can't purchase them. Well, no. negotiable, but you can't purchase them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, rate us five stars. Also, um, the Kickstarter is going on right now for um, 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever. So if you're interested in the films of 1982, and I hope you are, I hope you consider uh, supporting our Kickstarter to make this documentary about the uh, movies of 1982, and of course. As always, you can follow Inglorious Trexperts on Kick uh, on on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Inglorious Trek and Inglorious Trexperts, and also on Facebook. And you can watch us. And this may be an episode to watch at Inglorious uh, Electric yeah. Now on the Electric Now app, which you can download from your favorite app store. And it is now streaming on IMDb TV. So um, and it's also uh, actually available on ElectricNow.com too so and, and electricnow.com yeah if you just want to log on on your uh, on your uh, on pc your or laptop yeah or your computer exactly um so a lot of ways to watch us 
And, uh, and of course, you can listen to us every Friday. You can also listen to our sister podcast, Trexpert's Briefing Room, where Darren and I curate episodes of significant Star Trek episodes with writers, producers, cast, and super fans as we talk about not necessarily the greatest, but uh, significant episodes in Star Trek history. And of course, listen to our sister podcast, Best Movies Never Made. Got a lot of um, sisters. The 430 Movie. And um, and the great cartoon bar room with Ashley and Steve Melching, where they talk about animation and cartoons. So uh, we want to thank our um, sound engineer, Bill Ritter, as well as Mark Rivera, our uh, associate producers, Peter Holmstrom and Zach Raggetts, as well as our producer, Natalie Miscali, and our video producer, Dylan Middlebrook. And uh, I want to thank you, Darren, for finding Merv Block, because yeah, he was extraordinary. Extraordinary. <laughs> And uh, I just I just got such a kick out of talking to him. I just I mean, God, what amazing work he did over the years. Yeah. And, you know, somebody who uh, easily uh, could have fallen through the cracks if, um, you know, fortunately, uh, uh, you know, now the Lincoln Center and the poster house and all these people, you know, are honoring his uh, his incredible work. Yep. Um, so that's that's great. Uh, but until uh, next week, when we will actually go back to talking about more about Star Trek next week, um, maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, or maybe Space we'll, Nineteen Ninety Nine. We don't know. Yeah, you, you never know. Fantastic Journey will really throw you a curveball. Oh Super Train. I don't know. It could happen. Oh. Not on, not on this ship, Mister. And <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we'll we'll be seeing you. So, uh, oh, that's the prisoner. But uh, so all I have to say is uh, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.